From Neon Hum Media, this is Dirt Cheap. I'm Jeffrey Golden. And I'm Amanda Meadows. And we are reading Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. It continues. We're still reading it. We're still reading (laughs) Chapter 10. Amanda, do you remember what happened in Chapter 10, Part 1 of Murder in the Glass Room? (laughs) Okay, so Phil goes back to Rose's house. Does go back to Rose's house. Uh, And, you know, they they let him in, which is, you know, big surprise for me. Yeah, he's like bloody. Yeah, he's disgusting. In bad shape. And turns out Rosa had the wallet with the $50,000. Thank God, yeah. Which is nuts. Yes. His hunches about uh, the professor and Tommy have both come up short. At least presumably. That's right. Yeah. Um, They find out that both Tommy and Professor Stanley have alibis. Right. Professor Stanley's on some plane to D.C. Yeah. So. So he is is very much the number one suspect in his wife's murder. It's so crazy that he he did all of those things. And then there weren't even any incidental successes. (laughs) No. So remember, I believe it was the last thing on Edna's schedule was Shay Adele. Well, get ready to go to Shay Adele. Ooh, I want to know and get what's re- on the menu at Shay Adele. Suspense is on the menu for <laughs> for this coming episode. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, and as I promised last week, this chapter features maybe the biggest unforced error I have ever read in a book. This is the second half of chapter 10. I went up to Shea Adele by foot power. I looked into the window again, and it still looked empty. When I tried the door, it opened noiselessly. The room was empty. I walked all over it, saying, Hello? Hello? In a quiet, polite voice, but nobody answered. I picked up a china cup and saucer that were sitting on the table next to the samovar and rattled them. Still, nobody came. I thought he was going to, like, just start throwing dishes on the ground. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, it so would be th- just as expected so if I he th- just showed up and started throwing things to get attention. So I threw a chair through a glass table, and then I ripped a chandelier off the ceiling. Still no one. So what else did I do? I lit a torch. <laughs> I lit a decorative torch and set the chandelier on fire. Oh, Phil. All right. Still, nobody came. I decided to violate the quiet sanctity of the place and yelled as loud as I could, Hello! Good idea, Phil. I just imagine that this is the type of place with, like, one of those little hotel bells that you ring to get someone's... (laughs) And then he's just ignored it completely. So he's just, like, going around, like, kicking statues over and yelling, <laughs> screaming hello. There's, like, a placard, please wait to be seated. And then he just walks straight into the kitchen <laughs> and starts yelling at a chef. A small woman slipped in from behind a heavy drapery behind me and said very politely, Yes, monsieur? I whirled around. She had a big bust and beautiful legs and very small feet and the most corrupt face I'd seen in a long time. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? Oh, my God, Phil. I'll admit, I have been sort of leading this charge of 
this book should describe what people's faces are like as opposed to just furniture. But in this case, uh, he did do a fairly lengthy description for this book. And I have a weird image in my head. It did, I'm scared of the image. This woman is like a snake woman. It's like with, with like a... He has described a Ralph Bakshi character. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I'm just so creeped out by it. And I don't want... Like my brain is like against imagining it. And they're just like, just think about the words. That's enough. So Edwin Rolfe, Lester Fuller... Go ahead, go back to describing people less. Yeah, Maybe you know, that's not I'll, your forte. I'll just accept your lengthy elevator descriptions. <laughs> Madame Adele, I said. Yes, she answered. May I help you, monsieur? The way she said it made me feel as if I had broken the rules of the house by coming into the place looking the way I did. Maybe, I said. I kept watching her face. It was dark and square, and the heavily painted lips were long and thin. When she smiled, and there seemed to be a perpetual smile on her face, I was sure those beautiful, even white teeth were not her own. Her hair was black and well lacquered. It looked artificial, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man. So now he's tearing her down. Yeah. Immediately. He also described her head as square and I just immediately thought of like a Minecraft character. Yeah, this is like a Minecraft <laughs> Betty Boop like but character evil. but evil. She waited for me to continue. You had an appointment with Edna Norris yesterday? Oh yes, she said and then added poor thing. It was simply terrible, monsieur. She was so young and so... You were from the police, monsieur? I said yes. Was she coming for a fitting? Yes, monsieur, for her last fitting. The gown was all finished. I have it here. Would you like to see it, monsieur? I nodded. She directed me past a big Japanese screen, through a door and into another room. When I entered it, I was sure for the first time that this was really a dressmaker's shop. So he just walks into places assuming that they're fronts for things. Yes, I, yeah. I guess so. Well, also, remember, he didn't know the salon when he went into the no, salon. No, he couldn't tell it was a salon either. Right. So he's not very good at observing his surroundings Especially, and making logical conclusions, which is also very bad. Yeah, the, the theme of not detecting. Right. Not being unable to detect <laughs> clues. Uh, facial expressions, you know, the presence of your own money. It continues. It continues. It continues. She took a long black velvet evening gown on its hanger from a row of dresses and brought it over to me. This is it, monsieur. I never dreamed when I was planning this creation that she would never live to wear it. She said it with almost a sob in her voice, and it looked hard at her to see if it really was. No, I decided. She's play-acting. Oh, that's a big-ass commission she just lost. She made an entire dress for this woman. Yeah. I guess it was a wedding gown to marry <laughs> Professor Stanley, probably. It's also like if they knew each other, if she liked working with her, that like that, yeah, she would be genuinely sad about her murder. Yeah. It's like I got, you get invested. Well, look, I'm a uh, I'm a game writer. I work for various studios. If I found out that something horrible happened to somebody to a game director that I worked for. Uh, I'd be pretty upset. 
You know, it's not like yeah. inconceivable that somebody who works for somebody else would have no feelings towards that person. Exactly. How many times have like you like sent a client like a gift or like a friend who works with you a gift or something like, you yeah. know, he just has no relationships. Like That's he, has, it. he has no real friendships and he's no real intimacy with women. And that that like isolation has created just this like m- yeah a maillestrom of an empathy black hole yes that is it still is Norris. literally an empathy black hole <laughs> what was it you specifically wanted to know she asked did she come here often oh all the time monsieur ever since she married that murderer go on I just, I'm sorry, just like, just imagining his poker face really funny after. She's like, she married that murderer and just him being like, go on. <laughs> you know, just being like, uh. Also, the, what a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. Also, this does imply that she has read the newspaper. Did they not run a photo of Phil Norris in the newspaper along with the article? That's a great question. You would think that his face would be plastered everywhere. Is he declared the prime suspect officially? Yeah, remember that was in the newspaper. So yeah, that would like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I guess in theory she could have just heard it from somebody else and didn't read the paper. Possible. It could have been on the radio. It could have been. This is true. But it just I don't know. Yeah, it's it's sort of stretching credibility, but okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh <laughs> this is what you call a literary shortcut. Right. Absolutely. She had an account here. She always said she'd rather have her clothes made here than in Paris, at Chiaparelli's or Chanel or Pajot. So she came here often. All the time. I used to love to make her clothes. Just the fitting alone was a joy. I listened to her, and suddenly I became aware that she wasn't talking to me anymore. She was talking to herself. What she was saying was exciting her so much that she'd forgotten I was there. She had such a beautiful, compact, slim, lovely body. Her hands went through the motions of outlining a woman's figure, accenting the breasts and the hips. A drop of saliva gathered at the corner of her lips. Such a lovely, beautiful body, she continued, and again the hands went through their motions in the air, this time stroking the imaginary torso across the breast and down the belly. And such perfect legs and... Cut it, I shouted suddenly. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh man. (sighs) He is... He is having such an intense emotional reaction to this woman that he's sexually attracted to also describing the body of the woman that he has never gotten over. Right. Oh, clearly. (laughs) Clearly, and never will. And he can't even notice it in himself. Like, it's not... Nothing detected. Right. (laughs) So I guess the book is applying that Adele had sexual feelings for Edna and a drop of saliva. What a description. A drop of saliva. Like like the way you would think about like a food or something like it's that. Not, it like, doesn't make sense. It seems like the kind of thing where you're in, when you're in an emotional state and you're describing something or someone. Right. And yeah, she was, she's being very emotional. He is again, projecting everything. his lasciviousness. Onto everything. Onto like, it's like, it's now like a mirror effect where it's like, <laughs> it's like amplifying itself. <laughs> I scared her into silence. 
and I saw her tongue dart out of her lips and gather up the spittle. I just couldn't stand there and listen to her carry on anymore. She looked at me, and there was sudden fear on her face, but I was too worked up to stop. Keep your dirty goddamn hands off her, I shouted. Oh my god! There's so much. There's so much. There's so much here. He's like in a fugue state. Yeah. Like thrashing around. No! (laughs) Woman who I'm like immediately attracted to is now talking about Edna in a way as if she maybe knew her better than I did. Right. They clearly spent so much time together. Yeah, and liked each other. And they liked each other. I like both of them. Ooh. (laughs) Like, that's that's where his head is, and he's, like, so lost in his own waking wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) Madame Adele froze. Did did you say from the police, monsieur? She asked in a very small voice. Yes. She looked at my clothes and started to scream, a high, hysterical scream. Madam, I shouted, trying to quiet her. Murderer! She yelled at the top of her voice. (laughs) That is an unforced error. If I've ever read one, it is is truly. This is the best scene I've ever heard. Like, wow. All he had to do was say, just ask little questions. He could have said nothing and let her just genuflect at him. She was was divulging so much good information. I know. She could have talked about, oh, yeah, I saw him with Professor Stanley. Oh, Professor Stanley said something about uh, a scheme that he was running. And you know what I mean? Like, there was probably all this information there that she had that he just he just blew it. I heard movement in the room from where she'd first come. There must be other people in the place, I thought, but I didn't wait to find out. I ran out the door, turned the corner of an alley, raced as fast as I could for two or three blocks, and then out east, wiping the sweat from my face. I walked out into a quiet street lined with small, well-kept houses and began to go towards the bowl. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down.
And we're back. So Phil's roaming the streets of Los Angeles, and he's on his way to the Hollywood Bowl to meet up with Shelly. This is a good idea. I walked most of the way, but when I was about a mile away from the bowl, an old Ford, driven by a middle-aged fat man, wheezed up the curb alongside me. Want a lift? The driver asked. I kept my face in profile and said, no thanks. It's a hot day, stranger, he said, just trying to be neighborly. It was hot, as only the north desert wind can make Los Angeles hot. I decided to take a chance. I slipped in beside him, but kept looking out the window on my side, keeping my face turned away from him. Sure is hot, the fat man said as the Ford coughed and sputtered into first. Yes, I said. Yes, sir, sure is a pimp, he said, and then lapsed into silence as he concentrated on keeping the rattling Jenny in a straight line. He let me out at the corner of Highland and Franklin. I walked the rest of the way. I will say that walking to the bowl is a horrible walk. It's never been a good walk. No. And I can only imagine in 1945 it was like even shittier. Way worse. I guess in that way I feel some empathy towards Phil because he's walking to the bowl. So this is the one thing we can identify with is how bad it is to get to the Hollywood Bowl. Absolutely. And so like we're almost empathetic. But I do just like the idea of him like walking up like a dusty, shitty like incline and just (laughs) getting worse looking by the minute. I know. No, and it's I, it, hot out, so he's like sweating. Just sweatier like and dirtier sweat. than he's ever been. <laughs> the bowl was empty in the burning sun. Twenty-odd thousand seats and no one there but me. But as I climbed to the top, I felt as if every one of those seats was occupied and as if 20,000 pairs of eyes were on me. Instead of taking it easy, I raced up, my heart starting to pound again. Rivulets of sweat were running down my back as I threw myself gasping on the grass behind the last row of seats. I calmed down after a while, but when I realized what I had done, I laughed out loud. It wasn't a good laugh. It came out of the quivering of my gut, and it was a little crazy. He is, uh, he's, he's losing it. He's losing it. He's and losing it, it makes sense that he'd be losing it. He's malnourished mm-hmm. and Probably dehydrated <laughs> and dehydrated and drunk. <laughs> but here he is at the bowl. Here he is at the bowl. Rolling around in the grass, being disgusting and laughing to himself. Phil Norris at the bowl. <laughs> when I came out of it, I looked out over the rows of seats. Way down below, the orchestra shell looked like a miniature oyster balancing on its side. Haze danced over the concrete tiers. It was a good place, giving me a chance to spot anyone who might come in, and far enough away from the entrances so that if anyone did come, I could duck down the back and be away before he reached the top. It was a little after one. I sat down to wait. Then, down below, I saw a figure in black. It looked like a crawling black ant. It started to move up the stairs, taking an eternity to mount them. When it got close enough, I saw that it was really Shelly. I waved. She waved back, and I felt better again. 
<laughs> uh, he's I like laying ant. almost dead and yeah. almost thinks it's literally an ant walking up <laughs> the stairs. I saw this ant that was slow at walking. Oh, this ant was so dumb. But then I saw it was Shelly. That's pretty cool. <laughs> we boinked. So, <laughs> and Yeah, I mean, he saw her in panties and a bra. That's, yeah, that's how you know. <laughs> if you're Phil and you've seen a woman in panties and bra, that's, that's the end all be all. She reached me, panting a little, but looking as fresh and crisp as ever in a thin black dress. We didn't speak for a minute, just hugged each other. Hello, Phil, she said finally. Her voice was like music. Shelly. Shelly. Like, he's just like a literal zombie on the ground. Mary Shelly. Covered in trash and dirt (laughs) and like maybe dried up blood of his from the other night and just me man man bad (laughs) but like also like the last time she saw him they boned and he looked just as bad he was caked in mud he was caked in mud so maybe she's just into it maybe she likes this uh like she likes to pig pen play i don't know youtube that's probably on youtube right somebody's doing that where they it's like it's like oh I'm so dirty. Oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. dirty. Oh dirt dirt is like the yeah. That's in that's in. The oldest yeah it's one of the oldest. The <laughs> oldest fetish is covering yourself in dirt. That's cool. I love that. <laughs> I'm just saying shit out of my ass. You're I have no idea. You're saying it and I'm believing it <laughs> without question. Phil Norris style. Phil Norris style. I'm riding that wave. <laughs> she pulled me down on the grass. Phil. She whispered, Phil, darling. I put my head on her shoulder and touched the cool skin of her throat with my lips. She turned violently toward me and pressed my face hard against her breast. I kept kissing her and felt her fingers pushing fiercely on my back as if she were trying to pull me into her. Now, Phil, she whispered, now. What? Yeah, she wants to boink in the bowl. How do you have sex? Without smelling Phil Norris. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I would not want to have sex with Phil Norris. Uh, Certainly in this situation, I guess maybe she's into the danger aspect of it. it. Maybe. Maybe there's something there of like, oh, yeah. Because it's like she knew that he was a fugitive from the law when... Uh, they first had sex. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, there's a thrill here of like, I want to be on the edge. Yeah, I, this is, she's just chasing a great anecdote for her memoirs yes. as a newspaper woman in <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles. I Like, there's, I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe she like takes off her mask and it's Murdoch. It's like, <laughs> I was testing you. <laughs> You're Don't not you see much. why I haven't arrested you yet? It's because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Murdoch go? Yeah, I I miss miss Murdoch. (laughs) I pulled away from her and rolled over on my back. Some vague feeling made me stop. Much as I wanted her, I knew that this was wrong. Last night had been wrong. Shelley must have seen how I felt. If that's the way you want it, Phil, she said. That's not the way I want it, darling. You know. Sure, Phil, I know. But she sounded terribly disappointed, terribly frustrated. You know, it's hard for me to get it up when I'm the number one suspect in my wife's murder. <laughs> By the way, 
I guess the bowl is not being used right now. So if you out there want to boink at the bowl. This is a great time. Post your pics on Instagram, Twitter. Hashtag dirt cheap. Hashtag boink at the bowl. Yeah, make sure to tag us. We want those pics. <laughs> do what Phil Norris couldn't do. <laughs> Have sex at the bowl. <laughs> We both sat back. I kept thinking what a lousy break it was for us that we'd finally had to find each other with all the tumult going on around us. Shelley was still breathing rapidly. Her face flushed, her eyes smoldering. I'm sorry, Shelley, I said. In answer, she put her hand on mine and stroked my fingers. After a while, I saw she was back to normal. The agitation disappeared and she was calm again. She went into sex beast mode. And now she is not Hulk. She's not Hulk anymore. She's Bruce Banner now, but sex. She is deflated back into Bruce Banner, a girl edition. But he, again, is flattering himself. Yep. He can't. He can't do it without flattering himself. Absolutely like it's, not. Oh, I could tell she was real disappointed. Yeah. Not, not because I wasn't, you know, catering to her needs, but because she just needs this. Right. You know. Cap- vitamin P. Vitamin P. <laughs> vitamin P, Phil Norris. Oh, <laughs> I'm so grossed out. Where were you this morning? I asked. I called you, but you weren't in. Oh, she said. I went to her funeral. Whose funeral? Hers, of course. She accented the hers as if saying the name was distasteful to her. Edna's? She nodded. There were only a few people there, besides the plain clothesmen, that is. I guess they expected you to show up. The murderer coming to gloat, I guess. Sweet chance they had, I thought. Even if I hadn't forgot that this was Edna's burial day, even if I hadn't been the suspected murderer, I doubted whether I would have shown. I made it a rule never to go to funerals, and I expected not to break that rule until it was time to go to my own. Oh, his funeral. (laughs) Oh, man. It's just going to be like Murdoch, (laughs) Rosa. uh, Maybe Carlos. Maybe Carlos. He's not busy. If he's not busy. They do the funeral, and it's, like, rain. It's, like, pouring rain. It's, like, just the three of them, and then they leave. And then, like, Willie comes in with a shovel and, like, digs up his grave. (laughs) (laughs) Tries to get anything on his person. Phil, I think I've got to leave, Shelly said. What? It's something about the funeral, Phil. Something I noticed. Except for the police, the others look like morgue hounds like curiosity seekers attracted by the newspaper stories. But there was one woman who looked as if it were something personal, as if your wife meant something to her. Shelly, I said, skip all that and get to the point. It's pretty funny that he is like allergic to good information. He's allergic to detecting things. He is walled off from new things. (laughs) She's doing it. Even when he's looking for them. She's doing it. She's doing the work. Like, she noticed somebody who seemed to have a vendetta against her. And and he's like, get to the point. What does this mean? Yeah, he's like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, women, women just talk and flap their lips uh, like, blah, blah. Like, oh, my God. How do you not realize that what she is saying is germane <laughs> to the conversation? It's like she just wants to talk. Like, she just wants to chit-chat. Uh. 
This is the point, Phil. She's about 30, I guess. Blonde and very big around the hips. Who is she? I don't know. I let out my breath in disappointment. Listen, Phil, Shelly said eagerly. I don't know who she is, but maybe we can find her. Why should we? Phil, let me tell the story in my own way, she said. <laughs> Which is a way of saying you are a dummy. <laughs> yeah, he wants to be in control, but he has no information. Right. And so just is just barking over her as she tries to do the actual work. That doesn't sound familiar to me at all. I'm sure you have I've no lived experience that <laughs> would make you empathetic to her in this situation. Not at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My eyes aren't completely bloodshot red right now. No, they're not. No. You're making a very funny expression. <laughs> With your, uh, for radio <laughs> listeners, Amanda's hands are on her hips, <laughs> and she's, you know, her eyes are, like, closed a little bit. <laughs> like, closed a little, but she's still, like, she's smiling, but, like, kind of an angry smile. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black women, like, we have it down, the, the yeah. angry smile. Uh, yeah. She had a small bunch of violets in her hand. When they covered the coffin, she went over and threw them on the mound. I was right behind her. She muttered something under her breath. I didn't get it, but I'm sure it was something dirty. I wasn't impressed. So what? I asked. This is so what? She said. I've never seen such hatred in a person's face as there was in hers. She knew your wife. I could swear to it. To know her was to love her. Phil, I've got a hunch about this. Hunches don't pay off. There are a million horse-playing suckers in the poorhouse to prove it. (laughs) Hunches don't pay off. He is so proud of how he has contributed to uh, criminalization of poverty (laughs) by putting people into poorhouses, by making them bet on the horsies. You would wonder, like, how is Phil even capable of making people want to bet? It's a good thing that gambling is so addictive. Yes. Because Phil is, like, the kind of bookie that would make you, like, go, oh, I really need to stop betting on all these horses. (laughs) Be right back. And we're back at the Hollywood Bowl, where Shelly is trying to convince Phil what she saw at Edna's funeral could crack the case. Phil's not buying it. Phil, she said impatiently, don't be a fool. Okay, I said. I've got nothing else to do. Not one solitary thing else to do. The cops are buzzing all over town looking for me, and why they haven't found me is one for the books. And I'm supposed to worry about some dame who called Edna a bitch over her grave? Shelley got up and looked as if she could spit. I'm trying to help you, she said. And this is the thanks I get? What do you want me to do? Dance a Kazatsky? Phil slam. Wow, Kazatsky. Kazatsky. All right. Kazatsky on USA Network. No, I want you to listen. Do you think I feel like a Girl Scout getting an Eagle Badge with you two steps away from that cute little gas chamber they have in San Quentin? I reached up, took her hand, and pulled her down again. I was getting too good a view with you up there and me down here, I said. Phil, I could kill you. I kissed her nose. There's a little thingamabob inside me, I said. 
that makes me want to hurt people, even those I love. You are dating a man who is the suspected murderer of his wife, who the police are after, right? Mm -hmm. For some reason, somehow, some way, you believe there is good in this person, Mm -hmm. right? And that this person is worthy of your time and affection, despite the crazy risk you are putting yourself into, uh, and despite the fact that he is the number one suspect in his wife's murder. Now, he says to you, that there's something inside me. Not just something. <laughs> yeah. A thingamabob. There's some kind of thing. Yeah, I gotta make it cute. I'll call it a thingamabob. There's this cute little thing inside me that makes me want to hurt people, even those I love. Is this a good person to be dating? Someday we'll have to take it out. Right. She played with my hat, putting creases in it in the wrong way. After a while, she said, Do you want to listen? Shoot, I said, about the blonde. I followed her after it was over, Shelley said. I was watching her all the time. On her way out, she stopped to light a cigarette. When she took out a book of matches from her purse, something fluttered to the ground. I waited there until she had gone, and then I picked up the little piece of paper. Any name? Any address? No, nothing like that. Shelley opened her purse and took out a yellow, half-torn scrap. She gave it to me. It's a dance stub, Phil, she said excitedly. That's where she works. I looked at the paper. It was half a dance stub, all right, and there was just enough printing left for me to read Venice Ballroom. How do you know she works there? I don't know. I'm just guessing, just putting one and nothing together. This, she said, indicating the ticket, is the part a hostess keeps and hands in to collect her pay every night. Oh, so yeah, so this is like uh, this is like a place where folks go and yeah to go uh, dance. And back then, if you didn't have someone to dance with, you could dance with yeah. You could hire yeah. a dancer, right? You know, a, a presumably a good-looking lady, will right? Dance someone with that you. you can dance with, yeah. and you know, look cool for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, you could feel good. You feel good a little bit. I thought hard for a second. It might be a lead, and leads were what I needed. Tell me what she looked like, I said. I've already told you. Tell me again, I said, and tried to concentrate. About 5'4", blonde, good-looking in a kind of dissipated way, big hips, neatly dressed, but definitely not Saks Fifth Avenue. I thought I had it all. Thanks, Shelley, I said. I told you I'd be a help, she smiled. I don't know what it was that made me look over the seats and down into the bowl just then, but I did. And there they were, swarming into the place. There must have been 20 policemen running in from the entrance and starting to climb the steps. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, finally. When he went into the store and made it obvious that he was a murderer, (laughs) that uh, the police came quick enough that she was like, that way. He went that way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I ducked back and put my arms around Shelly to keep her down. Cops, I said. Crawl over to those bushes and stay there. If they find you, there's nothing to hook you up with me. Say you never saw me, don't know me, and don't care to. I'm going with you. I looked at her sheer dress and fragile high-heeled sandals. Not in those you aren't. Not where I'm going. When will I see you, Phil? It was almost a wail. 
If you leave me behind now, when will I see you? And where? Where? I thought fast, and I told her the first place that occurred to me, the first place that sounded safe. The farmer's market, I said, tomorrow at noon. The farmer's market? The farmer's market. Wow. He wants those pluots. Phil loves pluots. This is the worst place to go. Was this written by Angelinos? I'm imagining like in 1945. Yes. If they just saw the farmer's market the way we see it now, where it's like, oh, oh, (laughs) why would you actually go there? Yeah, or maybe that, yeah, maybe they're New York writers with like a map of Los Angeles and they're just like looking at like pointing at places. Oh, okay, he went to the Hollywood Bowl. Right. He went to the farmer's market. It's all right here, you know, in the tourist guide to Los Angeles. You want locations? I got locations for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Keep down, I whispered, and she fell back. I kissed her quickly and waited until she had done what I told her. Then I broke down the hill. I went fast, faster than the cops climbing the stairs. The advantage was mine, and I was down at the bottom before they could reach the spot where Shelley and I had talked. But they must have heard me crashing through the underbrush because they started after me, sending a round of shots in my direction. But they weren't sure where I was because the bullets went wild. This is straining credibility for me because I'm like, how did he not get hit immediately? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, see how do I being athletic enough to pull like, this evade off. bullets. I guess in this case, he got lucky because they just were firing he, indiscriminately. He was, they were so far away from him that by the time they caught up to him, he was a ways ahead. So they just right. fired in hopes to, right. you know. I cut through a small ravine and started to climb. It wasn't much of a hill, and even though I wasn't in prime condition, I made it without too much effort, and came out somewhere on that section of town called Whitley Heights. I was far enough ahead of the cops to be able to slow down to a walk. Besides, I didn't want to attract the attention of the inhabitants of the closely set houses. Then I saw it. A laundry truck was parked up the street, its motor idling while its driver delivered a package in the house. I climbed up to the seat, took off my jacket and tie, and hid them under the dashboard, exchanging my hat for an oily-looking cap that was lying on the floor, and started up as quickly as I could. Grand Theft Laundry. Wow. <laughs> so the key was just in there? I mean, yeah, okay, that whatever. Was a, that's, it's a common trope in old movies, yes. and I wonder if maybe it happened more frequently. It was just really easy to start up. Or something. Yeah, people just left the keys in the car because, you know, they who would suspect that anybody would take it is, I guess, what I, the I don't thinking. Know. I Although wish in I the understood. City, in Los Angeles, maybe in like a suburb, but like in LA, people were doing that. I don't know. Maybe it was the time. I, I've definitely seen this before. Yeah, it seems to happen a lot. And right. it's just like, okay. <laughs> there were police cars on the street where Whitley comes down into Coanga. But the lone cop who had been left behind to guard them scarcely gave me a glance. I turned right towards Franklin, hearing the open radio of one of the police cars instructing the men to go to Beverly and Fairfax, where a man was beating his wife. I turned up Franklin, pulled to a stop, and recovered my clothes. I left the truck there, knowing that the police wouldn't be looking for it as soon as the driver called in. It wasn't until I had walked a few blocks that fear hit me. While I had been running, I had been doing everything automatically, without thinking. But now that I was out in the clear, for the time being at least, I realized what I had been through. 
I walked into an alley and leaned weakly against a wooden fence. And that is chapter 10 of Murder in the Glass Room. What, uh, and by the way, Milestone, we are exactly halfway through the book. Oh, hey. Mm hmm. Halfway. Halfway. This is a wacky halfway point. This is a wacky halfway point. I agree with you. Now, in the next chapter, he goes to the dance hall. Great. Um, oh, man. And uh, he mixes it up with some ladies. Another thing that happens in this chapter is that he almost kills someone. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's intense. Wow. That's next time on Dirt Cheap. Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden. And me, Amanda Meadows. Our producer is Carla Green. Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room. Mm-hmm.